Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Well, welcome to Flourishing in Isolation, week five. I hope you're doing okay. Um, I hope you're doing well, getting some sort of groove going on with uh, your lockdown season. I appreciate this is a challenging time for all of us, but I'm glad you're able to join us again as we ask this question, what's the Bible got to teach us in this season? And more specifically, if you go back and you can have a look at the previous weeks, if you've not joined us before, either on YouTube or on uh, iTunes podcast, you can catch up on this series, Flourishing in Isolation, where we look at the prison letters written by Paul. He wrote four books of the Bible, four letters while under house arrest in Rome. And so over this teaching series, we're asking the question, what can we learn from Paul, who was under house arrest for two and a half years and wrote these books? What can we learn as we endeavour to flourish in isolation? And um, those questions we're trying to learn from, I I love the questions we get in. I'm so appreciative of people's comments and uh, emails and messages on social media. It's great. Do send them in. If you are watching this live, uh, we're going to have a, a meeting online afterwards, after when this is finished, and you'll see an invitation to that and a link to that in the comment section of the platform you're watching on right now. Um, last week, I got a great comment from uh, someone to reminding me that word manifold wisdom. The word manifold is the Greek word, which I won't even try and pronounce because it sounds like a really bad surname. Um, it says, but they are much variegated, many multicolored, like a cloth or painting. The idea that God's wisdom is multiple, it's, it's unlistable, it's, it's diverse. And it's the only place this is used in the bar, this huge, beautiful, brightly multicolored, many colored painting. That's what we are talking about, which talks, uh, links us nicely into this Um, coming up weeks. We've been learning loads as we gather through this book of Ephesians. Ephesians, uh, Philippians, Colossians and Philemon we're going to cover in this series. We're trying to rattle through. We've got 30 minutes we're going to fill tonight and it's going to be tough to give this justice. We hit Ephesians chapter 4. Last week in Ephesians chapter 3 we learned three things about what we can take away from flourishing isolation. We talked about the fact that God has a plan for you that includes each one of us that it's revealed through his Holy Spirit, um, what his plan is, and it's delivered by the church. The church is God's activity on earth. And that even in isolation, God can do more through you than you think. So this week, get your Bibles open. Ephesians chapter four, here we come. This is a big one. This can take time. I'm gonna quickly pray for us as we dive into God's word. Lord God, I thank you for the words of Paul. Thank you for the book of Ephesians that Paul wrote for us many years later. May we learn from these words we pray today. May it change us. May it affect us. May it not just be uh, things that go in one ear and out the other, but may it transform our internal being, we pray. Amen. Amen. So start on 4 verse 1. Ready? (laughs) Here we go. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, and make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. That's a key verse right now, to be patient with each other. 
to make allowances for each other. Although as we are living in isolation and maybe you're either living alone or living with people around you, sometimes we can get impatient and we can be frustrated with one another. But to make allowance, to assume the best of the other person. I often refer this to as the trust gap, the gap between what you know and someone else knows. And we do this all the time, we fill that gap with our element of trust that we have for that person. If someone does something or says something we don't understand, we assume what that might mean. We put fill in that gap with how much we trust them. And in the same way, when we make a mistake, we assume other people should fill that in with all the good things, our good intentions that we've made. And so let's be flexible with each other. Let's be patient with each other, as Paul is saying there, to have some stretch in your patience at this time. Carrying on in verse three, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. One body, one spirit. It will take effort to keep united. It stay united with each other and with the Holy Spirit. Work is required. And Paul carries on. Here is the reason why he says this in verse 5. There is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. He's saying simply, it's one God, it's one faith, it's one, it's one, it's one, it's one. He's repeating himself over and over, underlining each time. He's saying unity is really important. If we want to reflect Heavenly Father God, we need to be one to reflect him well. And this is a beautiful chapter of Ephesians because what Paul does is takes us on a journey and he starts off by saying, God wants you to be united. He wants us to be one. And then in verse seven, he says these words, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. He's got, he's got one, unity, important, so we can then celebrate who God is, but he's also given each one of us a special gift. Now, unity is different to uniformity. Uniformity is when everyone looks the same. Unity is when everyone is together, but they look different. I really struggle when I watch films or, or TV and I see a Christian caricatured on the screen. And often that person's down like as a nosy do-gooder or someone who's like, you know, on the street shouting at people as they go past. Or maybe they're a smoothly dressed televangelist with their own private jet. And these caricatures are unhealthy and unhelpful because it gives the impression that all Christians look the same. And that's not true. Paul is saying here, I've given each, Christ has given each one of you a special, unique gift. We're all different with different gifts. We're called to be united, to be one because the Father God is one, but we're not called to be the same. At that point, someone should shout few and high five the person sitting next to them. I'm glad we're not meant to be the same. But because we're all worshipping the same God, that's what unites us. It's not the fact that we look the same or say the same things, but we worship the same God. Carry on in verse 8. This is why the scriptures say, When he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people, Notice it says ascended. This is Paul writing. Notice it says ascended. He, this clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so he might fill the entire universe with 
himself. Paul is reminding his, his listeners there, his readers. He's saying Christ came down to be with us. He lowered himself. He humbled himself, even death on a cross. He could not have got himself much lower. Jesus Christ chose to make himself lower, lower even than the angels, to become like man. He did not come down to earth to be celebrated, to be worshipped, to be rewarded, to be successful. He came down to serve, to be humble, to be a servant to those in need, to, to fulfill the mission, to help people get back to his Father God. That was his purpose right then. Philippians 2 um, verses 5 to 8 talks about these things. This is in the message verse. He says these words, Jesus had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, being human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Jesus lived a humble life. He lived on earth with limited resources. He chose to lower himself. And this is how we should live, to be lower, to be more humble for the greater good of others. It's always about others. So Paul is telling us this story in Ephesians 4. He's saying, we've got to be one, we've got to be united, but we've all got a unique gift. But that gift must be used with humility. And this is really important because the next verse, the verse that everyone seems to concentrate on, but those first 10 verses in Ephesians 4 are really important. We're united. We reflect God as we're united. Uh, we, are, we, are, we are one. We are together in him, but we are unique. We carry special gifts. And with humility, we use those gifts. And here are the gifts. <laughs> verse 11. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and the pastors and teachers. Now, those from the charismatic background uh, watching right now will often zoom in. This is what we do in our tradition. We zoom in on this verse and we ignore all the other verses, all the context around it. And we go, there we go. That's the list of the gifts in the church. Or that's the gift list of the roles in the church. Or that's what you should have in your leadership team in your church. The irony is when we start um, elevating those positions. They're not positions. And we've just been hearing from Paul that Christ descended and humbled himself and he gave up his deity and he became human. And Paul is under house arrest and he's listing out these gifts and he's saying these are the gifts for the church. These are not positions. These are not roles. These are not jobs. These are gifts. These are for people to use to serve the church. And by very nature, a gift can be given and can be taken. They are not uh, jobs for life. This is a huge topic and one of the reasons I wanted to keep going with our conversation later on through use of social media and online forums because uh, th these th books have been written about this. There are so many books out there. I encourage you to get hold of a copy if you want to know more about Ephesians chapter 4, especially around verse 11. 
Uh, Alan Hirsch has written a number of books. His most recent one, 5Q, is available and others that might help you in your conversation. So I want to do a quick run through tonight of the gifts there. I'd like to just to explain to you um, those different gifts, those different roles, the different parts that we could all play in the body of Christ, the church. And maybe as I go through this list, you can see what are the ones that you feel more attuned to, the ones that you feel more comfortable with, that maybe uh, make you leap inside your soul, goes, yes, that's how I feel as we run through this list. Okay, how are we all doing? We're good? So first of all, we have the apostolic gift. The apostolic gift or the apostle, the apostle is a future focused gift. They love the future. Um, They are sent ones. That's the word that's used. When we talk about the apostles that went and built the churches in the um, early church, as Paul did, we're talking here to the place of Ephesus. Um, He would have gone as an apostle, as a sent one. And they think bigger and they think beyond They're always looking for ways to extend the gospel beyond one generation and to the next. They're strategic thinkers. They look to establish churches in new contexts. They love developing leaders. They love networking, creating new ideas, expanding. That's what they're about. Big is always better. But at their unhealthy extreme, and all these gifts have unhealthy extreme, at their unhealthy extreme, they can see people with different gifts to them as just useful tools to get the job done. But without the apostolic gift, there is often no forward momentum. We can lose energy without this important heaven-focused gift. Second, we have the prophetic gift, which Paul talks a lot about in his letters about the gift of prophecy. The prophetic gift is a, a person who has this gift will know God's will. They are attuned to God and what he is saying today. They can bring correction and challenge the culture of that day. They question the status quo and say, this is not how it's meant to be. They can often be a little bit odd, if we're honest. Um, They don't always fit into the idea of normal. They are God-focused first. That's why. They're, They're not so worried about the fashion of the day. They're more focused about what God is saying to them. And they want to bring the church in line with God's plans. And so if the church starts to go off and divert, they want to bring them back into line. At their unhealthy stream, extreme, people with uh, prophetic gifts can become excessive activists and um, or conversely, they can disengage completely with community and opt out of church because they feel like people aren't listening to them. They can either just become like a hermit in the desert or they can get placards and start running around. Um, They are the people with the prophetic gift. There's a lot of information, isn't there, so far? Two down, three to go. Number three is the evangelistic gift. These are like the business headhunters. They're the ones that the recruiters, they get people to come and join in, to participate. They have the gift of the woo. Uh, the gift I'm always envious of, it's the winning others over, W-O-O. They are infectious, they are passionate, they encourage people to make a personal decision to follow Jesus Christ themselves. They are focused on the Great Commission to go into the world and preach the good news. They inspire existing believers while recruiting more people to the local church. But like the other gifts at their unhealthy extreme, the evangelistic gift can be so focused on reaching those outside the church 
they neglect the growing and health and strengthening of new believers in the church. Their mandate or their mantra might be, I'll catch them and you can clean them. My job is to go get them and then you can sort them out. All these gifts in isolation can be unhealthy at the extreme. Then fourthly, we have the pastor or the shepherd. This gift uh, to the church, this pastoral gift, this caring gift, is it wants to nurture, to protect people. They are all about people. People come first, which is a good thing, mostly. They are caregivers. They focus on protecting the church family. Healthy pastors cultivate a loving, mature network of mutual relationships that make and develop disciples. But at their unhealthy extreme, they value people's opinions over leadership decisions. Stability is more important than mission. They want to go around and make sure, is everyone okay? And if we're not, we'll just, we'll just put on the brakes. We'll just stop all the activity and we'll just make sure everyone's doing all right. They can also create unhealthy relationships because people in the church start to depend upon them and they enjoy that relationship where they have this interdependent relationship and one makes sense of the other. And that's the role of this pastor or someone seen as a shepherd. Now, I need to make a note at this point for those watching at this time, because sometimes this gift of pastor can be combined with the final one on the list, the list of the, the, the gift of being a teacher. And sometimes it's referred to as fourfold ministries or fivefold, because that fourth one and fifth one can sometimes be combined. They can be put together. Now, I've looked into some of the arguments. I'm not suggesting I am a Greek scholar, but my understanding is really it's about grammar in the way the Greeks would write a list. And so in this list, there are four things in the list. But the way the English is translated, an extra and is put at the end. In the way that when I recite the list of my children's names, I will say I've got four children, Zach, Levi, Flo and Mimi. I add the word and in onto that list. When the Greeks would write a list, they would just write the four things. There'd be no word and. And so in the list in Greek there, you have those, those titles and there isn't an and between pastor and teacher, it just says pastor, teacher. So some would say that actually that, that final one on the list is one uh, gift. The pastor teacher is one gift. But if, and this is where I might get a little bit controversial some, I, I personally see it as five gifts, five separate gifts. I, I you read the Bible in this way. I, I use what's called a pastoral cycle. I read the word of God and then I apply that to my life. And I take that verse and I think, how does that work in my reality? And then I experience the reality of what I'm trying to do. And I then go back to scripture and say, how does my reality and my experience impact the Bible as I read it? And this ongoing interaction. And my experience is that there are people out there who are great at being a pastor and they're great at caring for people, but they're not necessarily means they're great at teaching the word of God. And there are other people out there who are great at teaching the word of God. They are brilliant. They have great understanding. And just yesterday I was in a, a lengthy theological presentation from Westminster Theological Centre. Great stuff on the study of Ezekiel. Fantastic. But the person giving the presentation had great knowledge. They were a teacher. I don't know whether they had the pastoral gift as well. 
And, and it seems to me uh, that the people who t- tend to promote this list as a fourfold ministry list are those who are very uh, good and have a mix of pastor and teacher. And which is a traditional sort of church leadership role. The role of a church leader typically would have the ability to teach the word of God and the ability to care for people. That would be a traditional mindset. But these are not roles, these are gifts. And I see these as separate gifts that different people carry. And so maybe you're more of a pastor than a teacher. I would say that's okay. These gifts are unique, but we need each other. So the last one, this list, in the way I see it, the fifth item there would be the teaching gift. This is a gift of wisdom, the skill of understanding great detail and explaining it simply, of communicating God's truth and helping people remain biblically grounded and guiding them carefully. To keep the church faithful to God's word and constructing doctrine. But at the unhealthy extreme, the teaching gift can become dogmatic or elevating knowledge above all else. They fail to see the need of the personal, uh, the individual around them, or even understand why we're doing this missional activity. Knowledge becomes the new God. Filling your head with information, being right, is becomes more important. All these gifts, when they're taken to the extreme, are unhealthy. These gifts are for ministry and not positions for people. They are powered by relationship. They're not powered by office or position. The gifts are designed to work together. There's a lot in all that I've just said these last few minutes. I would love to carry on that conversation with you at some point. Verse 12, Paul then carries on and says, These gifts, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all have come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. This gift in Ephesians 4, this list is for the church to build it up, to strengthen it. It's not about me and my gift. It's about my gift and how I can use it to build up others. In this season of lockdown, I want to call out of all those listening, the Ephesians 4 gifts and say, where are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers? We need you at this time more than ever before. And it's going to look different. It's going to be different than how it used to be. We need the apostles to imagine a new way of doing church. We need the prophets to speak out loudly. What is God saying in the middle of this this uncertain time we live in? For the evangelists to say, we have worldwide reach. What are we going to do with it? For the pastors to care for people, even though they could only have to do that from a distance. And for the teachers to help people learn and grow strong. Whatever the gift is that God has given to you, I encourage you, develop it and use it. Paul wrote in Romans 12, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. If God has given you a gift, 
use it and use it really well. The church needs you to use your gift in that way. When I was younger growing up in the church, some of it seemed like these gifts were like badges of honour. Oh, that person's the apostle. That person's Pastor Fred. That person's Prophet Harry or whatever it might be. And we'd use those almost labels. I remember once I was at a conference, a friend of mine, Dwayne White, some of you will know, I was at his conference in America, in Texas, and we had this kind of after conference party and we were just milling around talking to people. And I met this guy and on his really bright, sharp suit he wore with thick pinstripes and he had a badge on it, it said Apostle Jeff. Apostle Jeff, and I thought that was a brilliant name. And I was like, seriously? And I remember I spoke to my friend Dwayne, said, Dwayne, who's the Apostle Jeff? He said, oh, he's not an apostle. He's an interior decorator. But he just put himself a badge on to kind of feel like I'm an apostle. These, these gifts are not positions. They're not badges. They're not roles. They are gifts to the church. And our job is to stir up the gifts, to step into our gifts, but not aspire for position. Because as Paul is writing here, he says this in verse 14, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Those gifts, when they are misused and when they are abused, when individuals take on positions and they are not accountable, and they move away from team, they can be abusive and unhealthy. They can damage churches, damage communities. How many times have we heard stories of people being let down by Christian ministries, and normally and typically, can I say it is men, who use these gifts to manipulate, to trick, to lie, to deceive. And that gift is a gift it's not a position. It's, it's, it's a responsibility to carry. If God has given you a gift, you've got responsibility to use it and use it well. It is not a position for life. It is something to be held lightly. And as Paul says in verse 15, instead, we must speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. We need to look different, to speak the truth in love, to be honest with one another, to grow in every way, to become more like Christ. That's the church that I want to be part of. And to do that, we need everyone to play their part, to bring their gifts, not the special people with special titles, but all people with the gift that God has given to each one of them, coming fully under God's authority. We need your apostolic insight, the ideas of how to develop the church at this time. We need your prophetic words and voices and dreams. Send them in. We've got to hear what God is saying. We need your evangelistic outreach. Tell your friends what God is doing at this time. We need your pastoral gift. Be kind and gentle towards others. We need your teaching because iron sharpens iron as we interact with each other. Ultimately, ultimately in verse 16, it says here, and this is important as we bring this section to an end, he that is God, makes the whole body fit perfectly together. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Yes, that's what it's about. 
That's what it's about. He makes it all fit together. As each one of us does what we are called to do, that we take this idea of being a masterpiece, creating God's image. So we then create using the gifts that God is giving to us. The whole body grows healthy. The whole body grows full of love. That's the story of Ephesians chapter 4. And Paul is telling us as we go through this section, he's saying, look, we want to be one. We want to be united. We want to be together. You've all been given specific gifts, but be humble with them like Christ. Here are those gifts. And if you work together with those gifts, you will build up the body of Christ and we'll be healthy and growing and full of love. Amen. That's the story I want to be part of. So as we bring this session to an end, I think there are three things that we can learn from this part five of flourishing in isolation. The number one, we need to stay united while on lockdown, to be patient with each other, to give grace to each other, to be kind, to give people space. Secondly, you are a gift to others. You carry a gift. And now is an opportunity to discover the part you play and to shape that gift. As I read out that list to you and gave some brief explanations of how those gifts work, if there's something in you that resonates there, then think, how do I become more apostolic, more prophetic, more pastoral? Whatever your gift might be, start to shape it up in this season. And thirdly, we all need to come under the authority of God himself. That is what keeps us healthy. We humble ourselves, we bring our gifts to serve others, and we say, God, would you use what we've got? Let me pray for us. Dear God, thank you so much for the opportunity to learn together. Thank you for this incredible book of Ephesians, written by Paul while on lockdown. Thank you that we can learn from it. Lord, help us be patient with each other. Help us to be humble with all that you've given to us and help us to serve one another, that we look out for the needs of others before ourselves in this time we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to seeing you next time. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.